Welcome back to the Cedarville Stories podcast. My name is Sarah Gump. Two weeks after graduating from the School of Nursing, 2019 alumna Virginia Walker was running an emergency room in Africa where she was the only English speaker. Such an unbelievable set of circumstances could only be arranged by a loving father who knew that his child wanted to know the true meaning of bold. Arriving back in the U.S., she was prepared for what God would bring next in her life, the battle with the deadly coronavirus pandemic. However, through every moment, she is learning to behold Christ's glory with a yielded heart and an expectant faith. Here's Mark Weinstein's conversation with Virginia Walker. Welcome back to another week of the Cedarville Stories podcast. I'm Mark Weinstein, your host. And joining me today is Virginia Walker, a 2019 graduate of Cedarville University's School of Nursing. She is currently caring for COVID-19 patients in a hospital in Lansdowne, Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C. Virginia recently had many opportunities to share her story with media from all across the country, from radio stations in the the Mideast to New Mexico and even in Washington, D.C. And I'm really thankful for Virginia to being willing to join me today on the Cedarville Stories podcast to share her story of what the Lord is doing in her life through COVID-19 and her career as a nurse. Virginia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's good to actually see you through Zoom. You know, we've been connected for a few weeks as I've mm-hmm. heard your story. And and I think it's important for our our audience to continue hearing your story because it's really, really important. So as I think about your story, I, I'm really interested in knowing where did your love for nursing come from? I think I never was someone that was grew up just wanting to be a nurse. I think I love the idea of being able to combine the relational side of my personality that I love to hear stories and relate to people, but also with some sort of a purpose. And as I was praying through what I wanted to do with my life, I felt the Lord might call me into mission someday. And uh, I was like, God, what is a tool that I can use that can leverage me to get me into closed countries that can offer services, maybe not under the name of Christ and maybe under the name of Christ. And nursing was kind of that one that I was like, huh, yeah. And so I remember starting my nursing career freshman year, I'm like, I don't know if this is something that like I want to do. And I just slowly just fell in love with maybe not nursing school, but I fell in love with the idea of the avenues to which you could use that to share the gospel as you're dealing with your patients. So that's where my love kind of started to kindle, honestly, in college. What's it like to be a first year nurse and really having to experience something that our country hasn't seen in over a hundred years? That's the COVID-19 pandemic. What's it like for you day-to-day in your role as a nurse? It's different than I ever imagined um, after graduating Cedarville. I think even just reading through my journal of senior year and what I thought and where I thought God was going to bring me is like a year later, completely different than where he has. And I think it's a unique opportunity we have as first-year nurses in the class of 2019 of just this is like our foundation of nursing is built on this where I'm working with alumni nurses that have been nurses for 30, 40 years and they've never seen anything like this. And so in some sense, I think we have this beautiful aspect to frame nursing from this pandemic where we don't really have anything else to hang it on of our reality of what it means to be a nurse is we're creating that right now. And so I think you can definitely leverage that for the good but it has been different and more difficult than we ever thought our first year would be. But also at the same time, I've never felt this encouraged by friends, by media, by random strangers. 
as the medical staff and medical personnel are just being congratulated and cheered on as we walk to work, as we get our Starbucks. So it's definitely been an interesting year, but definitely full of lots of encouragement from friends and family, even from the United States as a whole. As I think about your education, the the Lord gave you a unique opportunity to get some on-the-job training, and that was in the Congo Mm -hmm. shortly after graduation. Can you share with our listeners about this experience and how it helped you even more so to prepare Mm -hmm. for COVID-19? I was in my last semester of nursing school, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do, where I wanted to work. And I had a position offered to me in the emergency room back at home. And I took that and they said I could start as soon as I wanted, or I could start as late as August 26th. And so I prayed about it. I picked that last day because I I have three more months of summer that I might not have. And I was praying graduation week of like, how can I leverage that for just the Lord and for the gospel? And I was someone, (laughs) a lot of my class knows this, that struggled academically, studied all the time and just found myself just struggling to get through nursing school. And there was many nights that I just was like, God, if you get me through these four years, like my nursing degree is yours and you can take me anywhere you want. And through, I think, just the struggle of nursing school and it being almost taken away from me a few times in different classes, I think I just finally realized that this is the Lord's work in your life. And if you get through this, it is evident that it was a miracle and that it is the Lord. And so I told him I'd give it back to him and he could take me anywhere he wanted. And so when an opportunity opened up graduation week, one of my dear friends emailed me an email that had surfaced through Cedarville's community of urgent need for nurses in the Congo from May to August, the exact three months that I had off. And I was like, huh, okay, Lord. So I applied and then just began preparing and saving and just trusting like, okay, Lord, I'm going to study for my NCLEX, but I have to pass before I can actually go to Africa and to bank all of that confidence on what I felt the Lord calling me to do, but seeing all these obstacles of actually getting my nursing license, which seemed really hard since nursing school seemed hard. Um, and just watching God reshape my idea of my identity and where my confidence lies and passing the NCLEX and booking a flight that day and then flying out to Africa a week later was just a crazy journey of God proving his faithfulness. And that's like one of the many takeaways the Cedarville's taught me is like, if he's faithful, you can trust him. And so that's the question mm. I asked myself after graduating. I'm like, okay, if he's faithful and if I can trust him, how is my life proving that to be true? Stepping out on a whim like that. Um, and saying like, I think I'm going to do this. And it makes no sense because I'm not the most academic person that excels that can just bank on passing the NCLEX and save money and ask people to donate towards something that I'm not 100% sure I can guarantee and just seemed foolish at sometimes, but just watching God's faithfulness through it all. And just, I think Africa continues to be a part of my story way longer than I thought it was going to be. And I feel like it'll be a part of my life, the rest of my life, even in coming back and I think as I was just a very privileged, blessed kid, and I had never seen the depth of pain and just sin and sickness that I was exposed to when I got to Africa and I got there. And the physician that I was going to be under had to come back to the United States for medical issues. And that was not expected. And so it left me in charge of the emergency room in a third world country where I did not speak French or Lingala. And there was one translator and he was the school teacher of the village. And it just happened to be a break. So he could translate from me from eight to 12. So being catapulted to a leadership position as a like two week old nurse was definitely something that I was in my mind, not ready for and not equipped for. And what the Lord just showed me in that of just, as long as you have two eager hands to help, like he will show you what you need. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And I think if I had a list of things 
that were going to be expected of me, I'd like to say I would still go, but I also know what the Lord's done in my life up till then. My confidence in him was not where it should have been, but the Lord definitely used Africa to show me that. That's a, that's a great story. And, and uh, it's great to hear just now how your faith has grown. When you were in uh, the Congo, if I remember right, hearing correctly, you were um, dealing with people who dealt with, who had Ebola and malaria. Is that correct? Predominantly malaria. Mm-hmm. Predominantly malaria. Now, there's a story about your time there. Lily was a special person that you were really caring for. Tell us that story about her journey with her disease and how you cared for her and what did you learn from that situation? Lily was this sweet, um, I think she was around five or six year old girl. Mm-hmm. She was the oldest of two siblings. She had two younger brothers. Um, and she came in just like a lot of kids come in unresponsive. Usually their blood sugar is really low. And when you have malaria, you're usually also anemic, which means you don't have a lot of blood in you. Um, and so it's really hard to get an IV in them. And that's like the main way with the resources that they have that they get medication into these children. And so um, she was a child that they had tried multiple times to get an IV and couldn't get one. And so the way it kind of works, sadly, in that kind of community is there's so many people sick because you can help the people that you have IVs in and you just go patient by patient. And if one person is taking too long, you work on the next one and maybe someone will come back to that one. And to me, in an Americanized healthcare is nothing I had ever experienced. And so it's things that I struggled to understand. Um, and so I remember just taking Lily as my own and not really knowing exactly what to do with her and just troubleshooting for hours and hours, um, finally getting IV access and then not getting IV access. And then her sugar was low and giving her sugar and her finally gaining consciousness and then trying to figure out what in her body was wrong organ wise. And just her heart was compensating Mm -hmm. for a lot of things going on. So it was beating really fast and having to advocate for her to a physician in a different language and using my translator who graciously stayed all day long when he only should have stayed for four hours. He was there the whole time for 12 hours. And I think I had never sat so close to to the depravity of man and sickness and death. And I had never witnessed that from a firsthand. And I felt in some of these moments that I was so helpless and then I couldn't yeah. do anything. And I was terrified. And I was like, God, why, why am I in this situation? Why do I feel like I'm the only one advocating for this girl? Like, how could you let stuff like this happen? Like go on this rant of all these questions. And um, the way that they dealt with grief was just quicker than I wanted it because it was about what Virginia had experienced and not what about like understanding their culture and the way that they grieve because they lose so many kids below five to malaria that they have to continue to move on with their life to provide. But to me, it was just harsh and rash. And I was so just did not know enough about their culture. And God was so gracious to allow me to stay there for two months to understand that, but just getting to care for her needs. And over there, they don't have enough nurses to communicate what's going on to the family members all the time. So oftentimes they drop them off and they just wait all day and hear by the end of the day that they didn't make it. And so I had never been in a position as a new nurse and oftentimes I'm not over here because the doctor more takes that role of communicating with a parent of a child that is dying and communicating what is going on and communicating honestly sometimes that I didn't know what was going on but that was probably the hardest part of the day um, and just to see the father figure be a part of the process where um, sometimes in that culture they aren't and they're more absent and so it was just a beautiful picture of him helping me as we try to figure this out um, with a translator and with some other nurses. And she eventually, when I knew she was decompensating to the point that she probably wasn't going to survive through the night, having to explain that to the dad was probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, and 
in that culture, everyone has different cultural beliefs, but all I, all I knew was just to wrap him up in a big hug. Um, and I remember he just looked at me and he said, I've watched you care for her all day long. I've watched you fight for her life. Like if the Lord wants her home, then he wants her home. And it was just in that moment that I was encouraged by a father who was visibly losing his daughter to just trust in the Lord's sovereignty when we don't understand. And sometimes on this side of heaven, we don't get to see the end result all the time. Right. But just, I remember crawling into bed with her and him and I listened to her last heartbeat together and um, just seeing how quick life vanishes and struggling later that night with just understanding the goodness of the Lord and how, how can God's glory be represented in times like that? And I struggled the rest of the time with stuff like that. And that became my reality of every single day, seeing things like that. And I was like, I don't want this to become a callous nurse. I want to think through these things well. And that's, I think, where my heart first started to like understand a need of what does the process of lamenting look like in Psalm 77? And mm. what does it look like to ask God these questions? And yet, even when you don't have the answers, turn to praise. And how that pathway of lament leads from that pain starts there and hopefully ends in praise of God's character. And I think the biggest takeaway that I took from seeing all that pain, most people walk away and would ask me like, well, how is there even a God? Like they'd walk away and question their faith where in God's grace and goodness of going by myself, where I had a lot of time by myself outside of the hospital to learn and to ask and to listen of God just showing me. I remember that night when I was laying in bed, trying to go to bed and he's like, Virginia, like that hurt you. And seeing that sickness is so hard to deal with, but like I saw that and it hurts me and I did something about it. That's why I came. That's why I sacrificed my life. That's why I died on the cross, not just to have a relationship, but also to take away like all of that pain. And there's a day, one day where like no one will shed a tear. And sometimes that's not always the bandaid and the solution that we want. When I was like, well, I want something right now that feels good and that makes it okay. And learning like that's the lack of faith of walking that journey with the Lord. But knowing, I think the biggest takeaway is it just added a tangibility to the gospel of what Christ had done personally for me that I had never experienced before. I think when I hear this story, I I hear the the, the positive that, you know, your life has been changed forever because I mean, you, you had a a relationship with Jesus, but it became very real to you at that time. Mm -hmm. The sad part about what you just said though, is that part of life, some people never come to reality with. And, um, that's what's really difficult. So as you go through this experience, you probably don't work a day in Virginia without thinking of that, probably that, that story. How do you use that example in your day-to-day as a nurse in Virginia? Mm-hmm. Does it come to fruition? Do you see it? Oh, absolutely. Because there's purpose behind every situation that God's put us in. There's purpose behind every pain that we walk through. And I think Satan wants us to think there isn't. And so we just waste it and we turn angry and bitter and callous. And I just came back and I was like, I don't want to be come back and think America does everything wrong. Africa does everything wrong. You know, coming back and just like, what can I take from what I learned there and add that into an American healthcare system that was very different. I walked in my first day, everyone spoke English. I was not in charge for 16 weeks. I was under some other nurse. I wasn't even on my own. Like we had a stock room full of things. And I think it just added, first of all, just a thankful heart for the things yeah. that we do have over here. Second, an opportunity to share my story. A lot of people would ask, oh, where did you graduate? Where were you before right. here? And 
in Congo and had numerous patients that ended up being from Congo and knew someone that lived in Mbondo and spoke really? Lingala. And it was cool. Like the Lord just put them in my, I have a zone of four rooms and he, I know he put them in my room just to remind right. me like, Hey, this is always going to be a part of your life. When I've had friends being like, seeing how this is trickled through your whole nursing career, it's going to be a trajectory of it being with you forever. And I think it's continued to add a, encourage a pace of sharing the gospel with people yeah. because Lily was only six, but who knows your patient might be 30 and a reason to share the gospel because they're living and breathing and talking to you. Whereas Lily was unconscious most of the time. So I think it's added an importance to live bold and preach the gospel and the avenues to which you can do it in nursing are super cool. Uh, that's so encouraging. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. I want to stay in the Congo a little bit. Shortly after you arrived in the Congo, uh-huh. if the story is correct, the, the missionary doctor left to treat his own medical condition. That means mm-hmm. you were the only English-speaking person in the hospital. What was that like for you? <laughs> it was, I think by that time, I was like, well, bring it on. Because before <laughs> then, when I had flown to Brazzaville, my plane got canceled because of just, I think, civil issues. And I ended up having to drive the length of the Congo. So from Brazzaville all the way to the top to this village. And it took four days when it was only supposed to take two. And we slept in the car and we slept in really tiny village towns and ate goat and drank boiled water. And so I think it was very unexpected. We went from riding in land cruisers to kayaking down canoes where we weren't allowed to cross to then getting in motorcycles to then walking to the hospital. So by the time I got to the hospital, I was like, oh my gosh, just the fact that I got here is a miracle. So then anything else, <laughs> when he told me that night that they were leaving and he forgot to tell me, I was like, oh, okay, what new? But I had a dear friend for two weeks. Her name was Emma Atkins. She was a med student that had reoriented her trip to be there when Dr. Joe was there. She was leaving that next week. So I had five days where she kind of oriented me to the hospital, helped translate um, because she picked up Lingala really well because it was super similar to Swahili, um, which is where she was from. And so that kind of was a big blessing of just being oriented to the hospital. But then when she left, it was definitely a challenge. A lot of serades. People knew, they probably knew as much English as I knew French. And so it was a lot of pointing and I would play with the kids in the pediatric unit after work and I'd like point to things and they'd say it in Lingala and I'd say it in English. And so I learned the basics. So I was definitely laughed at as my American accent was very funny to most of the kids um, in the village, but it was a lot of learning, a lot of dying to self, a lot of humbling. It was wonderful. I'm, I'm curious, do you stay in contact with any of the people you met even today? With technology, I would think it's pretty easy. There's a few um, in the village that had access to phones. Okay. And there was, Mama Sarah was a nurse that she works more out in the village. And she worked with the hospital, but a lot more in the village. And she, I think she was from Canada. So she spoke English um, and I communicate with her. She has a whole leprosy clinic that I got to help her with on the weekends. That was her primary mission, but I keep in contact with them. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. You know, as you're working in Virginia at, at the hospital, I'm interested, maybe even outside of hospital work, just how the Lord is using you in your current role as a nurse. Uh, you care for chickens on your at your residence. <laughs> uh, you do a lot of different things. So how is the Lord using you? How are you seeing him using you uh, right now? Just due to COVID and not a lot of people want to be friends with an emergency room nurse right now. 
I have spent a lot of time by myself, but I love gardening. So I've been gardening a lot. And just, I think that whole process has been so symbolic of the way that God's tender, loving care for us to pull out weeds and to fertilize and to sow seeds and to watch things grow. And I feel like these plants are my kids, how much time I've poured into them. And the Lord has just kind of revealed to me, like, this is how much time I put into molding you into who I want. And um, as the new year started, the word that the Lord gave me for this year was boldness. And I thought it was going to be more boldness to the gospel and sharing at work. And a lot of the Cedarville kids during quarantine started a group to read through the Bible in 61 days. And so I joined in on that when I wasn't at work. And it was just such an encouragement to read through the Old Testament. And I was catching up on reading one night and I didn't have as many patients. And I think just the opportunities in work have been the biggest example of how God is using me lately. And there's not a lot of Christians in my emergency room. There's a lot of people that are scared and hurting and are asking lots of questions. And I got to walk my charge nurse through the Old Testament really, like a month ago as I was catching up on some OT reading and because she had a lot of questions about organized religion and thought it was brainwashing and was just had a really, really good questions and just got to sit there and talk about understanding the Bible for yourself and reading it for yourself and walked her through just God's desire to dwell with us all the way from the Old Testament all the way into the New Testament so much so that he came and died so that he could dwell within us and have a relationship with us. And I think to her, it was a lot of like, you see a lot of Christians that say all this stuff, but they don't love it. They don't even love going to church. They don't love, or just religious people in general. And I think beforehand, I was hoping that she had seen the way that I loved my patients and that I lived in the unit to that when I finally shared the gospel with her four months later, that the actions lined up with the words and just Mm -hmm. to hear her heart so much more receptive to that of like, oh, so you don't just love your patients because you like want to go to heaven, but It's an understanding of God's love for you that propels you to love your patients well as a thank you to what God's done for you. And just seeing like the light bulb click in her mind is always interested to hear what I'm learning and wants to know more. Um, So I think it's been those aspects of where I thought sharing the gospel would be this, like I go in and I set out to talk to this person and talk to this person, but realizing like, love your patients well. And lead in a way that people notice, not so that you can be praised. Because sometimes I struggle with like, well, I don't want to do mm-hmm. things so that people notice. But now I'm like, live your best life and do it the right way so that people can notice. And then like it talks about being prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have of pointing those actions to a greater person than yourself, of letting them see through you to the Lord has yeah. been really cool of getting to not. I thought it was going to be more patient-centered of sharing the gospel more with patience, but it's been cool to see how it's been patience as well, but also the men and women that I live alongside for 12 hours every single night. Yeah, I was listening to a a different podcast, I think last week. I think it's uh, Sports Spectrum with Jason Romano, and they were talking about one of our best testimonies as believers is to do our jobs to the greatest of our ability, to work heartily as unto the Lord as the Bible says, because that just speaks volumes of, of a person. And then it gives you a platform to share the gospel. And that's what you're doing in, in your hospital. And so that's, that's encouraging for me to hear. So thanks for, for sharing that. I'm going to go back to before you even became an official nurse, uh, you were a college student. You mentioned earlier that college was difficult for you. So in terms of faculty who helped you through college, who were mentors to you, who had a significant impact in you, do do some names come to mind that you that you can share? Oh, absolutely. Deidre and Kim in the Cove. 
Oh my goodness. I was struggling junior year. The Cove kind of helps you with different tutoring stuff, but there wasn't a lot of tutoring opportunities. But those ladies poured their life and soul into this junior girl that every time she showed up, it was struggling with studies, another prayer request. It seemed that they just poured their life into me when I needed it most and just offered such a safe place for me to study over weekends and left me food and notes and prayed with me before exams and just championed me on through nursing school and saw something in me that I didn't really see in myself and helped me redefine my identity was not in a grade, even though I felt like, well, I have to have this grade to stay in nursing school. So how do I not idolize that grade? And I just struggled with that. But they just poured so much truth from both non-nursing affiliated healthcare. Like not only was the nursing faculty super helpful, but it was just a blessing to have someone totally outside that world, unrelated, that was just speaking unbiased truth into my life. Such a humbling year of realizing I am trying my 120% and it just never seems to be enough or just right enough to pass the class or right enough to come back the next semester. Um, They poured so much truth into my life. Warren Jenkins poured so much truth into my life, always offering. I was in my run before my med search final, which was the final that I needed to pass in order to come back for my senior year. And I had to get a really high grade that I had not gotten that high of a grade. So... I had gone for a really long run and I was like, I don't want to go to dinner. I just need to study and I have my test tomorrow and I get a call from Warren. He goes, Hey, I'm in Chuck's. We're having dinner. I was like, okay, I'm coming. And just getting to sit down and him like, just kind of put it in proper perspective. I was like, I have this big test tomorrow. And like, he just totally like negated. He was like, okay, cool. And then talked about something else. <laughs> talked about his hunting stories or how the garden is or how dad is. And just helped me like put things in proper perspective. You are looking so close at this one tiny piece of the puzzle and you're not stepping back into the reality that like the Lord knows exactly what you're going to get tomorrow. He knows if you're going to be here or not. And he's faithful and you can trust him and you will know exactly where he wants you after that exam. If you don't pass, he doesn't want you to be a nurse this year. If you do pass, he does (laughs) and resting in that fact. And so I had so many wonderful people along the way to just encourage and bless me at Cedarville. I love that place. Those are great stories. And uh, I chuckle with the the Warren Jenkins one, you know, (laughs) the the service he provides at the university and his role. And, and obviously you have a longstanding relationship through your dad with Warren and his family. So um, that's fun to hear. I'm interested in hearing from you. When did you finally realize in your mind that you were going to be a nurse or that you were going to pass, that you were going to be able to finish this education that you started a few years earlier? Was there a moment where just like, okay, I I have this, I'm going to, I'm going to make it now. Yeah. It came a little later than I thought, but I wrote in my prayer journal, way at the beginning when I applied to this, I said, Lord, if this is something you want, would you give me a confidence that is so unwavering? Because I knew confidence in my academics was what I had struggled for four years. I doubted myself even applying to Africa and and then even preparing to go to Africa. And I just remember this one morning where I had been praying that for a week and I just woke up and I remember calling one of my friends. I was like, I just have no fear anymore. Like, I don't know why I don't, I can't hundred percent prove that I like have this NCLEX in the bag, but I just know I have this like unreal confidence and I don't have confidence ever in my academics. And I just like, mm. I know I'm going to Africa. I know I'm going to Africa. And it was just cool to see that friend be like, no, I knew because you had never had that kind of confidence. I think more so even in that confidence was rooted in like, I know God has me exactly where he wants me and he's going to place me where he wants me in three months. If it's Africa, great. If it's not great, but I finally accepted that. Like, Yeah. I have two questions left in the podcast. One 
we're going off script a little bit. As we're taping this podcast, uh, there's a lot of unrest in our country. Can't watch the news without seeing protests because of the tragic death of a young man in Minneapolis. So I'm, I'm interested from your perspective, because you live so close to D.C., how has that situation impacted your life as maybe a nurse, just as a person, because of your proximity to, to D.C.? I think first and foremost, it just shows why we all need the Lord and how no one is so far from sin as, as we might think we are and what an opportunity we have as Christians to just love every tongue and every tribe. If God commanded us to go and share the good news to all the world, I know he meant to share it here. And right. so to continue to be someone that supports that. And I think I've had just an interesting perspective as a nurse during a pandemic. And then I work in an emergency room. So we work along cops all day long, I have a close relationship with many um, that are affiliated within um, my circle. And I think it's just as Christians, we are called to love no matter what badge you wear, no matter what skin color you wear, no matter right. what religion you hold yourself to, and no matter what political party you hold yourself to of that humility of coming before the Lord every day and emptying yourself, which is what I have to do. I think before I go work, I just like drive to work with no music. It's because there's so many things that just trigger my heart with news and updates and just emptying yourself of all of who you are. Every idea of what you think is right and wrong, every prejudiceness you might think you have, every justified action of just like empty all who you are. And just ask, like, God, just fill me with just you. And walking into work that way of, like, taking media, taking all of that out of your head and just loving people well. It's going to be the church and the Christians that change it. And you can't ask a government to change a hard issue all the time. And so um, they can try their best. And so I think it'll be, I'm hoping that through all of this, it'll give an opportunity for Christians to have a platform and to use their platform and steward the gifts and resources that they do have to advance the kingdom in the way that we just love people, in a way that people look and ask, like, why do you care? You're not my people. You're not my political party. You're not my race. But it's like, that doesn't matter because in Christ, he calls us to live in community. And I think we've gotten so far away of that, trying to live in this individual self-sufficient world sometimes yeah. in with yeah. technology, we forget. And I think that's what's going to restore. It's going to be communities within cities, building up communities, cleaning up communities, loving their community, and people from outside communities also going in to help. So it definitely has been a difficult place to be, but a really eye-opening place to be. I would not have that perspective if I was not a nurse working with cops and working with inmates and working with all the types of patients that walk through our doors in an ER. Your story is so inspiring to me. So I thank you for sharing it. And I just pray that you and many other people listening to this podcast will take it seriously to put down, like you say, technology or personal interest and really look out and see who we can impact. Just this year, I studied kind of an evangelism study book. It's called Just Walk Across the Room. Mm -hmm. Just building a relationship with neighbors or people who you go to the grocery store with, or you see at the grocery store, it doesn't matter who they are, what they look like, just start building relationships. And then from there, you have the, the platform, you have the opportunity and the trust to really speak truth in their lives. And nothing's more important than that. And and you're already there at a as a 20 year old something. Um, <laughs> that's really, that, that's great to hear. So thanks for sharing your story there. Absolutely. I, I, have, I have one last question. I ask this to everybody. It's the last question. You kind of answered it 
throughout, but I'm going to give you another opportunity to say it again. And that is right now in your life, uh, you're a nurse, you're a daughter, you're living in Virginia with your family. What is the Lord teaching you right now? I think my biggest prayer has been to behold Christ's glory with a yielded heart and expected faith. And what the Lord has shown me in that is in that in being even outside of Cedarville is that the gospel is worth being celebrated. Mm-hmm. And amidst all of these things, there's one thing that can still unify and can still be celebrated. And that's what Christ has done for us. And I thought maybe it would be more theological and more deep, but it's just this simple answer of like the gospel's worth celebrating it. And asking myself, I wrote on my steering wheel on a sticky note and taped it there because if it's not in front of my face every day, I forget it. <laughs> how am I celebrating the gospel today? Like, how am I making this day count as I'm watching as a nurse lives that just change in a day or a country that changes in a night? You wake up the next morning and find out all this stuff that's happened. But it's like, how am I championing Christ today in my life? And how am I celebrating the gospel well? Is that just an encouraging conversation with my mom? Is that scripture memorized? Is that like, just listening to a patient's life, um, asking if you can pray for them. Is that just sitting next to a coworker and letting them vent about everything that's going on and just look at them and say, I'm sorry, and don't try to fix it. As a nurse, we try to fix everything. Some of that stuff can't ever be fixed outside the cross and just pointing them to that. And it's okay to be silent sometimes and just listen. And it just reminds me of Romans 5 was the verse that I memorized in Africa. And it talks about how, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And though we've also explained access to faith into the grace in which we stand, we rejoice in that hope. We don't rejoice in the circumstance. We don't rejoice in the death. We don't rejoice in the pain, but we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not not only that, but in rejoicing, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that that suffering produces endurance and that endurance produces character and that character produces what? Hope. And that hope never puts us to shame because God's love has been poured into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Like, that's it. That's all we have in Christ. And yet, why is that not enough for me? When I, like, that's what I need to take every day to the ER. That's what we need to take as Christians out into our community. Well, there's no doubt that in my mind that you're, you're doing that on a regular basis, if not a daily basis, uh, wherever you go. I applaud that. It's just been a delight to spend 30 some minutes with you today and hear your story again. And I just thank you for all you're doing. I want to thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by this conversation, like I was, please share this episode with a friend. If you know of an awesome Cedarville story, share it with us. We would love to showcase how God is at work in the Cedarville family. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.